Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and I'm committed to bringing you ideas and resources that will help you build your professional development plan. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you want to be a nonprofit leader or maybe more effective in the role you're in now, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor. Help me grow this community as a gathering of global nonprofit leaders. Find the share button. Share this episode with just one other person. You can go to the episode graphic and you can find a way to email it or text it or share it on one of your social media platforms. And that will help us add to this wonderful global community. Speaking of a global resource, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Holly Rustic, who brings wonderful expertise in the area of grants management and grant writing and offers wonderful resources throughout her website, on her podcast. She's written books on the subject, and she will offer lots of things to help you as you ponder your current or perhaps your future nonprofit leadership role. Now, in addition to all of the grant writing wisdom Holly provides us, it's equally impressive to learn from her about the overall perspective she brings to your fundraising program. In other words, she's expert, of course, in grant writing, but she understands the larger perspective that we have to take as nonprofit leaders in building a balanced philanthropic platform. She's going to tell you not only how to build a better grant writing program, but how it fits into your overall fundraising cycle. Our conversation is full of tactical takeaways. She's got 10 steps to better position your nonprofit for grant funding and many, many more resources and ideas that are going to give you things to take and apply right away. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes. This is episode number 153. Just go to the podcast or the news blog on PattonMcDowell.com. And you'll find all of the resources that Holly and I discussed, as well as more information on her and the great work she's doing through her organization. It's called GrantWritingAndFunding.com. And you can find all of the resources I mentioned previously, especially her unique Hub Haven, which is a treasure trove of resources on everything related to grant writing. Speaking of resources, go to our website and connect with us. We're on all of the primary social media platforms, including YouTube. And if you go to the bottom of our homepage, click on free resources, and you can get on our weekly newsletter distribution list. You won't miss out on any of the resources we're providing, especially podcast episodes like this one. Of course, something else on our website I hope you won't miss out is an opportunity to get a copy of my book, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, continues to do well. And I'm grateful for the feedback and the value it appears to be having on nonprofit leaders at any stage of their career, whether they're just getting started or perhaps you're at that mid-career plateau trying to break through, or maybe you're considering a lateral entry to our sector from the for-profit world. In either of these three cases, I think the book will help you. Check it out. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Holly Rustic. Holly, thank you for joining me on The Path. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm excited as well. You have had fantastic experience, literally global experience, particularly Mm -hmm. in the area of grant writing. And you have books published on that. You have wonderful material resources that I know our listeners are going to need to dive into uh, when this episode is over. But 
I want to start with an interesting question because you brought up in our previous conversation that when you first talk to nonprofit leaders, their expectation might be more grant writing, right? But in yes. fact, your advice might not be for a nonprofit leader simply to do more grant writing. Maybe you can start with that. Explain why. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely you know, believe in grants, obviously, is what I've been doing for nearly two decades. However, I've also seen kind of the urban myths that are associated with grants and the misguided concept of them. And that is that they're just free money, there's no strings attached, etc. And all of those things are kind of myths, right? They're not, I mean, yes, yeah, sure, you don't have to pay the monies back if you handle it properly. However, there's definitely, you have to, you know, you have to do what you're going to do on your side. You have to, all the programs that you said you're going to implement, what you're going to do, you have to work it. Um, you have to send in reports. There are a lot of different things that there are many strings attached to grants. And even for people who have been getting them for a long time, um, you know, maybe they've started to get more and more larger grants and they grow a little bit too quickly. Um, so that can kind of shoot them in the foot. And I know a recent conversation I had with Rachel Waterman, um, and she's a grant writer too. And she said, you know, you don't want to, sometimes you don't want, you want to say no to grants because yeah. it can, you don't have the capacity to manage them. Right. And that can actually really be worse than getting the grant. And you know what I mean? So it's like getting the grant can actually be worse than not getting it. So um, definitely you want to look at, for one thing, what are your expectations of the grant, right? Especially if you're starting out new um, and you think that, you know, you're going to be the executive director for the program in the first year of the nonprofit and maybe replace your corporate salary immediately within two months through all this free money grants. And those yeah. are just misconceptions, you know? So, but even the more seasoned nonprofit leaders may still think that grants are because they're beginning them for a couple of years. It has been supporting a majority of their programs. However, what they have to remember are that grants are usually seed money, like startup money for different programs. They're not there to sustain it for always, or they're there to expand programs for a limited amount of time. So if you start all of these programs with all of this money that comes in, you better be sure that you have funding, diverse funding set in place to keep those programs going once the grant money ends, because it will end. So there are definitely, you know, thinking about diversity and funding to keep those programs going and just for a healthy mix, right? Um, looking at the nonprofit sector in brief definitely says, hey, um, don't just get grants. That shouldn't be a majority of your, your funding for your nonprofit. There's other things involved too, like individual donations, corporate sponsorships, fundraising, uh, membership dues. Like there's so many different ways that you can leverage money, selling services and products, right? Um, to create a healthy mix of uh, funding. So don't just rely on grants. Yeah, love how you said that, Holly. And, and diversification was something that resonated with me the first time we talked. And I know it's prominent in your material because in mm -hmm. fact, I guess the, the benefit of diversification is that your grant funders will often look for that, won't they? And likely reward organizations that show diversity versus a desperation to a grant mm -hmm. funder like, hey, I need you to cover everything because that's likely not going to be fulfilled. 
Yeah, that's such a good point, Patton, because, you know, that's another thing of what funding sources are looking for when they're reviewing your grant applications, like you stated, what kind of, you know, support do you have from the community to keep this program going, um, or just to leverage it entirely, and if we're only going to give you $100,000, but to reach all of the goals and objectives, you need, you know, a good $300,000, where are those other $200,000 coming in? Right. Are you just putting in there, we're going to keep seeking grants? Well, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence because I know how competitive the grant world is. What if you can't get those grants, yep. even if you're writing them? So I want to see letters of support. I want to see letters of commitment from other funding sources that can help match that if it's a matching grant, because there's some grants that do require matching. Um, and even if it doesn't require matching, I want to see some sort of community support, right? So that is absolutely necessary, um, like you're saying. I'm glad you said it earlier. And you gave, of course, the variety of revenue streams that nonprofits mm -hmm. can look to. And of course, is giving USA repeats year after year. You know, the great majority of philanthropy, at least in the United States, of course, is from individuals and families. And so yeah. while grants are an important component, I don't mean to discount that at all. And you're mm -hmm. going to tell us how we can maximize that. But you, we have to see nonprofit leaders looking at that individual donor, the annual fund, and perhaps major giving, right? And I'm guessing yes. when you work with any organization or client, you want to see that as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I have clients sometimes coming to me and they're like, we just want to get one big grant for like this $3 million project. And I'm right. like, well, that's not the way it's going to work. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it could if you're very seasoned and, you know, you have a lot of funding coming in. But I mean, for most organizations, grants are just going to be a part of your funding stream. They may even just be a supplemental part of your funding right. stream. Right. So that's the way I always say, like, you know, look at grants, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get them. Um, you know, so you've got to figure out first develop your program before you go even chasing grants and then trying to develop a program around some grant, right? To say, oh my gosh, there's so much money. A lot of people just see dollar signs when they see these grant opportunities. And then they think, oh, how can we kind of mold and shift our program into that criteria? And sometimes if you're trying too hard, like that's a slippery slope, right? Yeah, that's mission drifting, right? That there's all kinds of kinds of things that come into play then. So definitely I always say develop your program first, then start looking for fun for grants, right? Then right. you know right. what type of grants to look for and how they can supplement or support part of your program. Yep. You nailed it, Holly. And of course, that headline or the title of this episode talks about why diversification is vital. And mm -hmm. you absolutely nailed that. And we're going to get more into the detail because, again, I know our listeners want to come away with practical takeaways, which is what mm -hmm. you're so very good at. Before we go there, however, I want to ask about your journey. How did you get into the kind of nonprofit work you do now? Yeah. Um, you know, it happened a long time ago. <laughs> Um, I won't ask in, you the date. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. no, I'll tell you the date because it's kind of important. But it, back in 2004, right? Um, so looking at, you know, it was the Asian tsunami. I was working in Kuwait as a, I was teaching actually in Kuwait back in the day. So I worked abroad a lot in my life. And um, the Asian tsunami hit and, you know, right, Boxing Day, right? It was crazy. Um, 
huge impact on the world. And then after that, there was a lot of nonprofits that were moving into areas like Indonesia. Indonesia was one of the worst place, um, places affected by this tsunami. Right. Um, and I and I saw there was some positions open um, at community um, development, right, to move in. And, and what was interesting about that was it was in the area of Aceh, Indonesia, which actually had been shut off to foreigners for more than 50 years. So it was opening its border to foreigners and really a lot of like UN organizations, NGOs, everything was moving in there, right, to help support because it was just um, hit so brutally. And I applied for a job. I got the job and I went down there and it was more of a community development and teaching. So an after school program for the some of the children that now that all of a sudden they were kind of, they weren't in their own villages anymore because the villages were near the shoreline. Um, so they were kind of living in FEMA tents, like closer and kind of all these villages together now in this camp. Right. Yeah. So um, we had this after school program to teach English, art, sports, et cetera, and kind of develop a camaraderie around, you know, for these young kids who had been from, you know, different villages. Um, so we were doing that, but while I was working there, it was really interesting. I was getting to know the language, getting to know the people. It was in this little area, Malabo and in, in Aceh, Indonesia, and just wonderful people, right? And, and what they had been through was so tremendous. And a lot of people, though, when they came to us, they said, you know, this is program that you have is it's nice, but it's not really what we need. <laughs> so, interesting. yeah. So just a side note, like you always want to do your research before you do your programs. That's why I'm so passionate about that, um, you know, before just getting funding and then trying to put a program together. Like, right, right. One. So um, but the good thing is I had the flexibility to be able to say, OK, what do you need then? And, and I was learning um, it was lear I was learning a martial arts from there. And I was talking to the it was actually a woman who needed it. And she said, you know, I had a water kiosk before and that was my business. And I sold water, you know, like a little kiosk selling water and gum and stuff like that. She's like, that was my, my livelihood. And now I don't have that anymore. So um, I was like, oh, and she's like, but I don't know how to talk to the UN organizations that have the guards and they drive around their bulletproof. Yeah, <laughs> I was intimidating, right? An yeah, intimidating, yeah. right. Super intimidating. The language, you know, all of the things. And with my NGO, we were very, um, we rode our bikes to work. <laughs> we were very like, you know, we didn't more have approachable, like, right? I yeah, guess. very much more approachable. So I said, oh, so you want me to, you know, I can definitely liaise with these guys. I go to meetings with them. I can, you know, write up something and sure, I'll do that. So I actually started grant writing, not even though I was writing grants. Right. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll be the connector. And I love being the connector. I love like networking and being the liaison and all of that stuff. So when I walked away, I was like, this is great. We we're able to raise money for her kiosk, start focusing more on livelihood development on the things that were needed and really realizing that grant writing is connecting money to mission, right? Yeah. So I really yeah. have always held that dearly to say it's a way to really implement something. And so after that contract ended, I went to the, I went back to the states outside of DC, and I started working for a virtual grant writing firm, which uh, that was actually pretty innovative back in like 06. Yeah, <laughs> before everybody had to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, oh, we can do this. We write grants. Like we don't need to be physically in the place of the client. So that firm had clients all over the United States, even some all over the world. I worked there and then I moved back abroad, but I kept working as a freelancer for that company. Um, so, and then from there, I've worked at different organizations, been in like actual nonprofits working. And in 2014, I opened my own like larger full-time company here on the island of Guam. So yeah, so that's kind of a long-winded story. But <laughs> it's a great story. And in, in fact, I was going to ask you the, the global perspective, the opportunity you've had to work in different countries. Would you say that has sharpened your skills versus many of us who have worked in a single country? How, did, how would you say your global experiences maybe have helped you become even better at what you do now? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know about sharpen, but I would say broaden potentially because um, even when I was, I did my master's in Brussels and I was able to freelance there, right? So I think, and for different organizations, like I've written grants for organizations in the United Arab Emirates. I've written grants for different types of funding, not just yes. for US funding. So in that way, I don't know about sharpened, but I definitely think broadened, um, you know, because there's different ways that you write like a, a UN grant compared to a DOE grant. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. I've got to believe you've gotten good at, well, you said it earlier, researching, understanding the funder. And you've yeah. had to understand across cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Literally across different sectors, different cultures and yeah. everything else. And, and, you know, you get into some really interesting backroom conversations. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. So you understand it's about the politics. It's about, you know, there's so much more that goes into it. Right. So uh, what kind of players are out there? You get to hear backstories on different players and some of the dirt and you know, how to like pivot different things. So, I mean, you know, when it comes to money, it, it gets really interesting. It does become, um, you know, you learn a lot more politically what the climate is, um, you know, social, different social impacts, different priorities, different things people are interested in. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into grants, which makes it so interesting, right? Well, and, and I think you raise a good point, though, Holly, because I think some people might think, well, grant writing is a kind of a prescriptive exercise. You know, you go online, it's explained to you, you fill in within the word counts or whatever, but but you raise a good point. There's still a relationship element, right? And yeah. you still have to understand what's beyond, I guess, what's on the website. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, and because I think I started such, um, you know, I started my grant writing as relationships. Yes. As, yes. You know, so I really understand that. So for me, it's like, even when I see there's a grant funding opportunity, you know, maybe a funding opportunity announcement or request for proposals out there from a foundation or even federal source, I'm going to email the program manager and be like, hey, this is the nonprofit. We're thinking about submitting for this program, da, da, da. And I'm starting to build relationships directly instead of just submitting a grant at the time, at the, you know, deadline and having no conversation um, with that program manager. And it's not that, you know, ethically, they might not be able to say anything to me um, a lot about, oh, we're going to award this to you. They're not going to say that at all. No, right, but right. What I am getting is the pulse. Like, is this something I know you say you're going to fund things like this, but are you actually? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. And you can get a lot of feedback and they can be like, you know what, we're looking at something that sounds really good, but we're really more interested in this certain part of it. And they can tell you things like that completely ethically. That's totally, and that's things that you want to hear. And then the other thing on that 
is they're going to remember your program because you've talked to them, you know? Exactly so, right. You've added depth to their understanding, right? Yeah. And, yeah. They're going to be like, oh, or just simple things like it doesn't, you know, it says 12 point font, but for your charts, can I do 10 point? I mean, I know that sounds really nitty gritty. Yeah, but it I, makes a difference though, right? Yeah. And if you start developing relationships and asking them questions and they see that you really want to get this and you're really trying your best you know, to do this and you're really serious about it. So I definitely think even if they're not the one who's going to review it or award it, you know, it's definitely, you're getting more information and you're just building those relationships straight out of the gate. So I think that's really important. And the other thing, Pat, and I always tell people too, is um, just because we're having this kind of this conversation is, you know, relationship building, it's not about just submitting that grant application once a year. I mean, with federal grants, Maybe so Maybe, it's a little right. bit harder, yeah. but with foundation grants, I'm like, no, don't just submit when the funding cycles open and that's all you do. Cause that's a one-sided relationship. You're just saying, give me money. You know, yep. that's not a relationship. So I tell them, you know, find out who the board of directors is for that foundation. If they're in your area, send them like free tickets to your fundraiser. Don't yes. say yes. No pay for these funding tickets. No, no, no. Actually send them free tickets and be like, come, we want you to see what we're doing. We want to build a relationship. Send, you know, literature when you can, if it makes sense, don't just overwhelm them, build the relationship. So how would you do that? Right. They're real people. How do you do that? You invite them to things. Maybe you ask if you can go present, you know, what you're doing at their board meeting. If you could take 15 minutes of their time and show a slide deck and just so you can have, you know, that more, you can say, hey, we know that this is your priority. This is what we're doing. Does it fit well? You know, we really want to see if we can, we can form a good relationship here. Such good and, advice. Oh, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. No. But <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. And, and, and again, then they've made, as you said earlier, grant writing transactional and not realizing these funders are people too. They're committed to the causes. I've found, Holly, a lot of these program officers, they want you to show your best stuff, oh, right? Yeah. It's in their best interest to put really qualified proposals in front of the review committee or the board. And so Absolutely. they will help to the extent they can. As you said, they're not going to yeah. tell you exactly what's going to happen, but it is yeah. relationship game. I'm glad you're emphasizing that. Yeah, really important. And people are like, oh, that's another layer of work. Well, yeah, it is, but it's about developing relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's about like going into it with that mentality is so much better than just going into it like sending off a hundred two-page applications to a hundred foundations and that application is exactly the same to each one of them. Like that's not gonna pay off at all. No <laughs> relationship take- building there, right? Uh, yeah, there's none. So you have to really think, who do we want? Almost like you're interviewing the funding sources. Who do we want as our partners? You know, and really go about it from a different perspective. And that can just change the whole game of how you're writing, how you're um, forming relationships and getting a few really good relationships that may turn into year after year grants then. You know what I mean? When you're yes, really um, long term. Again, great point to change your mindset, perhaps, in terms of grant writing being just a kind of mass volume activity, right? And instead of looking at more of the qualitative relationships, maybe it's fewer, but it might yield more money in the long run, right? Or what you're saying. and Yeah. And just way more security, you know, because when you can get into something and actually have a good relationship, 
with somebody, um, you can get more year to year, especially with foundations, you know, more year to year funding, more funding each year because you're building that relationship. You're showing that you can manage programs and that you can spend money appropriately. And, you know, it's really great. Sometimes they'll even reach out to you and be like, hey, um, you know, we know somebody else that has this grant available. You guys should apply. Like there's so much that comes out of that. So the ripple effect is huge. Because they want you to win too, right? If they do indeed invest in you, then they want you to succeed. And that's awesome. what kind of a virtuous cycle occurs. Um, well, Holly, you've talked about in among your many great resources, you one of your articles or resource material talks about 10 steps to better position a nonprofit for funding. So why don't we talk about a few of those 10 steps? We'll tease our listeners. Maybe if they want to find out all 10, you'll tell them where to go. But what are some things listeners right now could take away, Holly, in terms of better positioning themselves for grants? Right. And, I, you know, that it's, it's a great, it's a worksheet on my website, like you said. So, um, and that's more about, it's not about writing grants, right? So it's about how do you position yourself for funding? So funding sources, when they're looking at you, there are some red flags that are going to come, that could come up, right? Yep, so yep. it's really getting ahead of the red flags because it's not just once they even look at your grant, they say, this is great, but they might find some things in there that say, mm, this isn't really strong. So I give you advice on how, what funding sources are specifically looking for. Excellent. So some of those tips, yeah, they go over like board structure issues, right? And you would think, what does that have to do with grants? Well, a lot of times you have to put in your board of directors and bios and organize how you're going to actually do your staffing pattern, who reports to whom and where's the board in there? Like the board governs, right? So, like, for instance, if your board isn't meeting consistently, right, um, if you don't have an appropriate number of board members on your board, yep. that's a red flag. You know, if you don't have a conflict of interest policy, that's a huge red flag. And that is something a lot of grant funding sources will ask for. Um, you know, if you don't have a dissolution clause, what happens if your nonprofit goes under? Where are those assets that then they what? are giving you. Yeah. Right, what right. happens to those? So um, it, it might seem like a little bit like, oh, she's asking these things. No, no, no. Those are great things. points. And yeah. in essence, you're assuring eligibility questions, right? That might <laughs> prohibit a funder. In fact, one how I was going to ask you about is we often talk about board giving. What would you mm -hmm. say? I know one size doesn't fit all, but is it fair more and more funders or less funders are asking that you have 100% board giving, for example? How would you rate that as a criteria? Right. I think board giving is becoming more and more talked about. And I yep. think that's good. I definitely have seen more conversations. I see a lot of like onboarding contracts, you know, for board members, which I always definitely have an onboarding, you know, contract when you have a board member come on. Yeah, you know, right, they, right. Know what they're doing. And if you don't say these are the requirements, then, you know, how are they going to know, right? So one of those requirements, like you mentioned, that's getting a lot more and more traction is to say board members contribute a certain number or a certain amount of finances every year to the nonprofit. Right. And that might not necessarily be out of their pocket, although it could be, but it could be like each board member at least raises five or $10,000. So that could be through a fundraiser that they help Fun, you know, that they help um, run or a grant that they help write or corporate sponsors that they help get on or, right. or coming out of their, their pocket, right? So I think definitely um, that is becoming a lot more well-known. And I think that's actually great. Um, I serve on a lot of boards. I've served on a lot of boards. I try to limit myself. 
know? Yeah, you, so you um, know what you it's know. like on that side, right? To be, yeah. but you contribute but, if if you're you on the board, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you know, especially if you're um, doing fundraising or a grant, you know, those sort of things. Like that's something you should do. It, you're, that's your business, basically, right? When you look down at the the legalities of it, it's that nonprofit is essentially that's your business, and you're accountable for that as a board director. So you know, just putting it off on the executive director on staff to make sure that they just, you know, get raise all the money isn't necessarily what they're supposed to be doing. Right. right? I really believe as a board director, that's a major part of your job. Yep. Excellent point. And well, and again, I love that your, your 10 steps to kind of positioning that you're right is not just the external act of chasing the grant funding, but it's, it's kind of a self-assessment, right? You've provided a nonprofit leader with, Hey, before you get out there and try to raise funds through grants, you need to do this assessment and make sure you're ready for some of the questions that might come to you. Is that fair? Absolutely. Um, and as part of that, too, we have our nonprofit wellness audit, and that has a full report and all of the templates. So articles, bylaws, all of the things that you need, uh, you know, annual operating budget examples and more. So definitely all of those things are really needed, right, to have to make sure, like, it, look at your bylaws. Do you have, you know, five to 11 board members, right, that yeah. you should have? Do you have term yep. limits? have, you know, all of the things, are your fiscal years in there? Or is your fiscal year in there? There's so many things that, you know, need to be accounted for when evaluating your board structure, your financials, um, even just your messaging and your branding, you know, so really looking at the whole ball game and, and we have a rating sheet, which is fantastic. So you can rate your organization, but then we give you the resources to be able to get to the highest rating and make sure that all of, like I said, all of your T's are crossed, all your I's are dotted. So when funding sources are considering you for grant funding or other types of funding, that you are transparent and you have credibility. So you're going to help me build the, in essence, a toolkit. I'm going to self-assess. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see how I score. If I'm mm -hmm. deficient in an area, you're going to help me figure out how to get to maximum uh, proficiency. And it, it, again, it, I hate to suggest that because funders ask different questions, but I'm guess, Holly, from your experience, you know pretty much the main things they're going to ask for yeah. or look for. And is that, in essence, what yeah. you're helping someone prepare? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that just helps their confidence too, when they're going out there, you know, because a lot of times, especially with grant writing or seeking funding, a lot of it is just, you know, not really confident that they have everything done because they're not really sure, like a lot of right. nonprofit. So it really helps them get all their ducks in a row. So they are ready and they're confident. And when funding sources ask for things, they have them available, you know, um, they're ready. So it's, it's really good. Um, even if you're, you're not even thinking about grants necessarily, that's just one of the things, but, you know, you might be considering selling products or having services or starting, you know, a thrift store or coffee shop for your nonprofit. So to make sure that everything's in order before you do those things is really important when you're starting to seek funding to start. Because they're going to ask maybe. about it, right? You, yeah. you, you need to be yeah. prepared for that conversation, uh, perhaps. And well, mm -hmm. you know, the question I get, Holly, and I wanted to ask you about is uh, nonprofits, the, the, the decision to hire a full-time fundraiser at my nonprofit, which I suppose would give that person obviously more intimate knowledge of what we do. But I've also heard that, well, one, if they can't afford that, that grant writing certainly can be a contracted service. But 
Yeah. Do you run into that? And, and, and how do you advise nonprofit organizations, I guess, is grant writing something you outsource or is it always better to try to bring it in house? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think it really depends the answer, right? So yeah. um, there's, yes. there's pros and cons to both. So if you have the ability and the capacity to hire internally, that may be in your best interest um, because you do have somebody then that's there all the time, you know, et cetera, right? But if you, you know, it has to be something you consider. I mean, also look at uh, consultants because consultants, the thing is, is, if the grant ends and you are paying them under a certain grant, you know what I mean? Then yeah, true. you don't have to worry about cash flow. Like, you know, that's the thing that hangs up a lot of nonprofits is all of their staff and worrying about their payroll and just, you know, the consistency, especially with grants coming and going and all, you know, these types of things. So that's why a lot of nonprofits do like to hire consultants because for one, they don't have to pay fringe benefits for two. Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely. Have to worry about payroll and just be stressed out to have another person on that payroll that that their lives are kind of in their hands. Um, the other thing is they don't have to have a space or a computer for that person. Like they're not actually paying for an office or a cubicle space or where, whatever, right? Because if you have an employee, you have to provide them a space. You have to provide them a computer. You have to provide a lot of extra things, um, which that increases your utility bill. That increases your lease or your, you know what I mean? There's a lot. Everything of else adds up, right? Yeah. So that's where consultants, sure, their rates may be higher than an employee. But when you look at all of those added costs, it might be way more cost effective. And plus, they're only going to charge you for a scope of work. Right. So not their full time. Not like, yep. Yeah. It's not time in, out. You know, of course, they have a to do list as an employee. But with a consultant, it's basically like, I'm going to deliver this. And these are the timelines I'm going to deliver it by. And this is my area of expertise. This is all I do. Right. So you're getting that kind of higher um, impact of just time management, I think, for consultants in a lot of places. And once the scope of work or the contract is over, it's over, right? You can renew it, you can renegotiate if you want to, um, or you don't need them right now. So you don't have to keep paying them. So it really goes to budget, analyzing your budget and analyzing what the best fit is for your nonprofit, but analyzing those different things I just spoke about too, to say, oh, maybe it is more cost-effective and time-effective and everything to hire a consultant and just getting a certain area of expertise. Whereas you might have to train an employee to write grants. And then you're also expecting them to fundraise and you're also expecting them to be out there and be the face of the organization or whatever. You know what I mean? And that yes, might be much and that not necessarily their area of expertise. Well, in fact, and the reality is we often organizations don't have sufficient salary to hire full-time, frankly, someone as talented as you or has decades of experience. Yeah. So I'm going to hire a more junior grant writer, hope they they grow into the kind of experience that perhaps a consultant could bring right away, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's all types of things. I mean, I, I love, and like I said, as a freelancer, as a consultant, as having my own business now, you know, um, full-time, like even before, and I would just do it on the side. and you know, organizations really love that. They love to hire someone just to write a certain grant. They don't want to pay pain roller. You know what I mean? Yes, right. You know, they just want, okay, this is grant season for us. So let's go ahead and hire you for a few months to write some grants that are open. It's well so put. much easier. 
Yeah. Well, so. and speaking of, of the challenges and opportunities in our sector, you have a clear passion for mentoring women in this sector. Mm-hmm. And of course, women uh, are, are the predominant leaders in our sector. Uh, what brought your, uh, you know, in addition to being a woman leader yourself, what brought that passion to, to mentor women and what can we do to help more women in this sector evolve into senior leadership? Oh, such a great question. I love that. Um, yeah, I'm super passionate, like you said, about mentoring women. And, you know, I, and like you mentioned, I think I saw a stat somewhere. It was like 67% of grant writers are female and that's not, the, that's for who work in nonprofits. Right, but if you right. at consultants, it's even higher. So, you know, it's definitely one of the things that I found was needed was to mentor. And that was because I've, you know, experienced a lot of bias um, as a woman and is a woman in business and, you know, really, and in the nonprofit sector, right? So I see a lot of executive director who are men. I see a lot of board of directors who are men, but I see mostly women doing all the work. (laughs) Fair fair point. Fair point. What's going on? So, I mean, even personally for me and kind of what inspired me to do it was when I was working for full time at a nonprofit, I hit the glass ceiling and the glass ceiling was, you know, being the acting executive director whenever he was gone. Right. And never being able to but my pay scale. So I had hit the top, which wasn't very high. So I was like, no, I need to make money. And I've brought in millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yes, literally. Value is huge. So I started my my business then full time and was really talking to a lot of uh, grant writers, a lot of consultants and realized we faced a lot of the same things with, with having glass ceilings, with not feeling confident and asking for more with feeling like maybe we needed to discount to get jobs over men who are less qualified than us. There was a lot in there and there still is, there's still great conversation on this and there needs to be a lot of changes. So I think, you know, just to answer, you know, and so I did start, um, I started a mentorship group where I do mentor, um, consultants, uh, grant writing consultants and nonprofit consultants who are women um, and give them the tools and the confidence to overcome a lot of the uh, imposter syndrome, just the bias in society to really analyze and say, you do give value, charge more. This is how you can have those conversations, right? How we can move upward in mobility, um, really, you know, so and what a lot of the second part of that question, what people can do to support that you know, a lot of it's yes. just publishing salaries, right? Like making that transparent. Like that's one of the big things I think nonprofit leaders can do right away um, is to say, what are people getting paid? Is that woman who actually does have more experience? Is she actually getting the same amount as somebody who's not, but it's in a different, um, you know, a role that's higher than hers? And why is that? So I think there needs to be a lot more transparency with that. And that's one movement that can really help. I also think hire female consultants right, um, to do roles <laughs> and don't try to negotiate. You like actually look at their fees um, and, and pay their fees. Right. So I think that's a huge thing, too, is just 
understanding the value um, that is brought in, whether it's a male or a female, and paying appropriately. Don't try to just, you know, negotiate down and try to get all kinds of discounts all the time, you know, um, that's not helpful. Um, so those Great are point. definitely two things that can be done right away. And then from the female's perspective, ask for a raise. If you don't feel like you're getting enough, feel empowered to ask for a raise. Maybe you need to move laterally, right? Maybe if you have hit that glass ceiling at the nonprofit you're at, you need to move to another one where you can be um, up-leveled, right? Where you can advance further in the ranks. So um, those are definitely things that you can consider. I know a lot of females are like me. Um, they didn't feel like they were getting the monetary value that they deserved. So they've opened up their own side business or full-time business. So even there though, bring your value up. Remember what you started and why and feel empowered to do so. It's great advice. And as a, a, a male with privilege that I acknowledge with my gender, you are very gracious to me in offering advice uh, and in your consulting wisdom. So I hope there are, are women listening to this, maybe in nonprofit leadership, considering the entrepreneurial route that you have taken, Holly, which uh, again, I know you can't help everybody, but it's wonderful to see that you have helped. So if, if someone wanted to find out more about the mentorship program, obviously we'll give them that contact or is that something, or do you have kind of, I guess you have limitations to how many uh, women you can mentor. How does that work? Yeah. So I open it up at certain times during the year, usually once or twice a year. So we have a very tight cohort, sure. but they can find out information about all of my stuff at grantwritingandfunding.com. So um, if they want to go there, what well, we talked about the nonprofit wellness audit, we've now talked about the mentorship. Um, there's a lot of different free resources as well that they can access. Um, I actually developed this thing called the Grant Writing and Funding Hub Haven. So it's an online portal where I have- Love that. Bunch of stuff. Yeah. And it's like very feminine, like bias, but I really love it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. As the parent of two young professional daughters, Holly, mm -hmm. I, I am grateful that there are women like you kind of setting the, the path, leading the way. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I don't want to cut you off because in fact, you also have a wonderful book, The Beginner's Guide to Grant Writing. And, yeah. and I want to make sure you lift that up. Talk about that what, sure. why you wrote it and how it might be helpful to a listener right now. Yeah. So, you know, um, side story, I actually write fiction as well. Um, oh, I did not remember that. That's great. Yeah. So I love it. I love romantic comedy, totally into it. So I, I love that. And I have some poetry, but I, and then I had my business and I was like, okay, you know, thinking about different books and one of my mentor, or actually my book mentor, she's like, why aren't you writing a book on your business for your business? Like, cause you love to write, you're publishing different books. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's a good idea. So I was like, okay. And the other reason too, was it was because I was getting a lot of people coming to me that um, they couldn't afford my prices for my services, but I still wanted to help them somehow. Right. So I was like, okay, that's a great idea that I should be writing a, a book for my business, but yes, I can also give them a resource you know, that I, it's only 25 bucks, right? Versus, right. you know, right. like a lot more for, and they, they can still get a roadmap on how to do that. So it was a really a way for me to multiply the, the number of people I could reach and help. And, you know, so they can do, they can have, you know, more success at winning grants um, and being able to advance their mission. But it, when, you know, I, that I could do it that way. So it was a way that it was getting the message out there, getting the information out there. Um, 
you know, and letting them go ahead and move forward to be able to do it in a very accessible and affordable way. Um, so it's been great. And also, um, you know, for me as my business, it's been a great um, cornerstone as well. So if I'm doing speaking gigs, if I'm doing different things going on podcasts, like yours, thank you so much. For me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing that I can talk about. Um, and it adds credibility. So a lot of people are publishing books right now. I think it's fantastic. It's a great way to get knowledge out there, but it's good for their businesses too. Right. So I, Indeed. I well, you, you've got wonderful resources. And of course, we're going to lift them up in the show notes. And, and again, I would be remiss if I didn't lift up your podcast in addition to other resources as uh, a grateful guest on your show as well. Um, and, and so uh, this episode won't do justice to all the things you can offer our listeners, but I'm going to encourage them to get to your website. And But before we do that, I'm, I mean, let's talk about, is there any other advice Holly, you've offered great advice for women in an entrepreneurial sense, in a leadership sense, as well as all of the grant writing tips. But if someone else approached uh, you about getting into nonprofit leadership, any other advice you might offer? Yeah, I mean, nonprofit leadership, it's really interesting. And I know when you came on my podcast, which will be um, out soon, too, I don't know when yours is going to be produced <laughs> or published. We're going to be but, coming around the same time, yeah. maybe. Oh, good. Yeah, because I remember we talked a lot about that, too. And I know you have a lot in your new book as well, talking about nonprofit leadership, but right. just that there's more and more younger people who are really drawn to it and looking at it as a profession. So I think just having that cap on that it is a profession is really, really good. Um, but as far as, you know, nonprofit leadership, it, it starts with usually something in the community that you want to see. Um, changed in a positive way that a gap you want to see filled, um, you know, a way to lead the community and to be more grassroots. So, I mean, I think going in and, and understanding that there's a lot of skills that, that take, you know, yep. it's not just yep. about passion. I think that's really important to say, what skill sets can I bring to the table? And do I have the right kind for nonprofit leadership? Because it's not just about charity, right? It's about if you're into charity and you love fundraising and giving, then you might be better as a board member, right? Yes. yes. Um, but if, if you're a nonprofit leader, as far as an executive director, do you have the skills on um, what kind of skills do you need to do? Because you're basically like operating a business, right? Because I really always go back to nonprofits are a business. They're just a business that the profit goes back into the business. Exactly. Right? It's a different so, tax code, right? But it's still... Yeah as complex, it's, if not yeah. more than any yeah, other business. Exactly. You need to know how to read and interpret budgets. You need to know how to manage people. You need to know how to oversee programs. There's a lot that goes into it, right? So really understanding, do you have the specific skill sets? And if you don't, you can either grow those because you can take all types of courses or you can shadow under another executive director. You can learn from it. Um, or you can say, you know what, maybe that, those aren't my skill sets. However, I would be a great case manager or I would be a great um you know, bookkeeper for the nonprofit, or I would be a great board of directors, or I could be on a funding committee. There's so many other ways that you can contribute. So really understanding, is that really where you want to go? What skills do you need to have in order to be an effective executive director or nonprofit leader? Um, and what type of nonprofit leader do you want to be? Fantastic, Holly. Just like everything else you've shared, wonderful mm -hmm. advice and encouragement. Uh, mm -hmm. for nonprofit leaders listening. So for that, I'm grateful. And of course, I'm going to ask you for one more parting gift. 
Of course, we're going to lift up your great book and other resources, but I wonder, has there been a book that was meaningful to you on your journey, maybe in a professional sense? Anything come to mind? Yeah. You know, um, we talked about this in the green room too, because I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> you, got, you had a lot of choices though, right? You could have chosen. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys, uh, you guys probably can't see it, but behind me is like books. Like I like to write as you guys know. So Indeed. As, a, as a writer, I also love to read. Like I am definitely like, that's one of my favorite things to do is reading. So, um, and even in my mentorship, we actually have a book club. That's how passionate. <laughs> like, wow. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, um, but one of the biggest, I would say one of the most impact I think was in the beginning before, cause I had freelanced on the side for a long time. Um, but starting your own business full-time is a big move. Right. right. Um, and there's a lot of things, right. That go into that. Like if there's a lot of fear, there's a lot, you know, of just, can I do this? It's such a different, different talk about, even if you should be a nonprofit leader, what skills you need to have for that starting your own business, you have to have certain skills as well. Um, and the biggest thing for me was mindset, right? So the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill nice. had a big impact for me. Yeah. And I was at a leadership conference for women um, and it was really good. And I was thinking about doing this, opening my own business and, you know, um, just, and then one of the speakers there, she started talking about that book. And I got so much from that talk. And then afterwards she came over and cause I had said something at the meeting, whatever. And she said, I want to be your mentor. Um, I really believe in what you're doing. And I was like, wow. So, and you know, she's from a different state. She had all the success and it was really cool just to be like under someone's wing wings, you know, and to have that mentorship, um, that mentoring, but that book, she said, you have to read the book then. So I read the book and that was really helpful in mindset. Um, I would say more so than anything, but I think as an entrepreneur and in many cases working in nonprofits, mindset is where the shifts happen, especially with working with grants. I'm a grant writer when, cause we're, we're asking for money all yes, the time, indeed. you know, so what the is mindset, the mindset? Right. around money because you know, there's all types of emotional things around money right you're talking about money. people don't like talking about money like no, all the- a lot of baggage <laughs> with that often yeah. so like clearing that baggage out and actually looking at it and getting underneath it and sifting through it and then organizing the heck out of things you know what i mean like metaphorically i mean that's huge it's it's huge and it's been one of the biggest transformations is really the personal development side so that book kind of kickstarted it so have you read the book love it in fact napoleon hill is is credited with coining the mastermind term mm -hmm. and so uh, in fact that book has been very meaningful to me uh we started a mastermind program for nonprofit leaders mm -hmm. and so i feel compelled to give Napoleon Hill credit for that. Now it's been 80 some years ago, I guess that book has been around a long time, but the wisdom and the mindset you noted remain yeah. very, very true. And so I'm you glad know, you lifted up. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned the mastermind from that too. And, and that how old the book is because um, I mean, there's a lot older books, but I mean, as far as it's not a contemporary, um, but, you know, looking at that is back, he published in around the great depression, right? I think it was exactly. right after Exactly. So, and I always looked at that and I thought, wow, if he can look at money this way and change your mindset this way and really look at abundance during that time, that's huge. And, and I read that something. book 
Yeah. I mean, I've read it years ago. I've read it multiple times, but I mean, even in our recent history, you know, during this pandemic, um, you know, during a lot of the recession scare, you know, all of these things, the inflation that's going on right now, like if we get caught up in that and we get caught up in that fear, we get caught up in lack, oh, there's going to be fewer grants now, you know, the monies are going to different wars or, you know what I mean? Like if we start getting into that anxiety, that's where we hold ourselves back. And maybe we don't apply for many grants because we think what's the use, but the the real reality is that there is money out there, right? There is a lot of abundance. And remember right in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, actually grant, funding wasn't as competitive because a lot of nonprofits were just like in a tailspin and they weren't submitting grants, but there was still a lot of money there. So, you know, it, it just goes to show like that book has taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about like, no matter your environment, no matter your political and, and social climate, that there is abundance. So I think that's just been something that's carried me through, you know, as a grant writer. It's great advice. Great uh, words of wisdom to finish on. But Les, before we finish entirely, Holly, where do you want our listeners to go and maybe again remind them of what they can find when they go to check out your website? Yeah. So if you guys go to grantwritingandfunding.com, and that's all spelled out, um, then you can definitely be invited. You'll see that, you know, you'll be invited right away to join our Hub Haven, which I had mentioned before, which is an online um, portal. And you have a lot of different resources. So we have different resources there with the, the, the list that you talked about, the top 10 list to position your uh, nonprofit for funding. Uh, uh, as well as other additional information for nonprofits. We have things just specific on grant writing. We have our grants formula, mini uh, video series. And I also have something for freelancers. So if you're thinking about transitioning into freelancing or you already are, um, we have a lot of information there for you too, checklists and all kinds of fun stuff. In addition to that, we even have our stress-free nook where I just throw in fun things every (laughs) month and curated resources, trainings, et cetera. So we've done that so you don't have to sign up to a, bunch of different freebies, but it's all in one place. (laughs) So you can definitely check it out there. And like you mentioned, our podcast is there. We have a YouTube channel. Um, We have a ton of resources that you can check out and we have different courses available if you're interested in going in deep and studying um, and then the mentorship as well. So yeah, so definitely check it out and the book. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Don't forget the book. Um, Yes, indeed. And it's a good one. And Holly, thank you. We'll link to all of that. And so more reason to check out the show notes for this episode. And Holly, let me thank you one more time for joining me on the path. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation and um, just being on this great podcast. I absolutely love it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Holly as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas, not only to guide you on your professional journey, but especially to help you in the areas of grants management and how it fits into the fundraising plan at your nonprofit. Don't forget about the show notes. This is episode number 153. Just go to our website, patentmcdowell.com, to the podcast page, and you can find out everything you need to know about Holly and the great resources she provides through her grant writing and funding website, as well as a wonderful podcast by the same name. As always, please share this episode with just one other person on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Also, go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll see the follow button. And remember, follow equals subscribe, and you won't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. Hey, if you like this episode... Go to the Episodes button on that same podcast page, and you can scroll through all 
of the thumbnail descriptions of these episodes and find out just about any topic that is of interest to you uh, within the realm of nonprofit leadership. Thanks, as always, for everything you do in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.